Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Yes. Super excited. We are all pumped to have James Renner. James Renner. James Renner has zeroed in. James Renner once again drops a bombshell. Investigative journalist reporter James Renner, who's been on the podcast a long time. By a local writer, James Renner. James Renner. James Renner. Congratulations, true crime addicts. We've survived another year. It's the end of 2022, and I have the top 10 true crime stories of the last year. Can you guess what they are? Probably not. Probably some of them you can. Obviously, Idaho. Obviously, Delphi is going to be in there. But you probably can't pick all 10 or the order that they come in. Uh, You know, so stay tuned. Check it out. I also want to thank you for hanging out for the last year. This is the first full year of true crime this week. And it started out as a simple podcast and has grown in numbers. And now we're on YouTube. And so things are great. But keep telling your friends about it. Subscribe if you haven't already. That always helps. I don't employ Russian bots. So it's all word of mouth. You know? Uh, So um, thank you for coming along. And I also want to thank my good buddy Walter for manning the cameras every week and editing the show. Thanks, Walter. Wonderful. Uh, But let's get to it. The top 10 true crime stories of 2022. Number 10, The Somerton Man. Now, this is my favorite unsolved mystery of all time. I love it. In fact, I liked it so much I centered, I I wrote a book a a few years ago, a novel called The Man from Primrose Lane. I've written a sequel to this, and it deals, half the book is all about the Somerton Man mystery. It gets into the mythos and the the details and everything like that. Not sure if it'll ever be published, honestly. But uh, it's been hanging out on the shelf. So uh, (laughs) um, I love everything about the story. If you don't know about the Somerton Man, let me learn you a little something before I tell you the what happened here this last year. Now, the body of... So it begins in 1948, December 1st, 1948, when the body of a man is found in Somerton Park. That's in Adelaide, Australia. All the way in the down under. And remember, December is actually their summer. So it's, it's, it's reversed there. Now, he's found on the beach looking out at the sea. And if you're a fan of Stephen King, this is kind of the seed of the story that became the Colorado Kid, which is one of my favorite things he's ever written. 
this man was found on the beach looking out at the sea. And they weren't able to determine cause of death. He just looked like he died. In his pocket, this a, this a little time later, like days or weeks, I can't remember which, but the police are going through his things and they find a secret pocket in his pants. And inside that pocket is are the words Tamen Shud, or Tamen Shud, which is Persian for it is ended. And that happens to be the last line in the entire book of poetry, uh, this ancient book of poetry known as the Rubiat of Omar Khayyam. And he's this famous Persian poet from the 12th century. So what the heck is going on here? Um, a man actually came forward a couple weeks after the Somerton man was found dead. Another man, a lawyer, solicitor as they called him, uh, comes forward and says, hey, I parked my car, and I believe it was a convertible, where he had the back windows open. But he parked his car near where the body was found the day that it was found, and he found that somebody had tossed a book into the backseat of his car. And this was a copy of the Rubiat of Omar Khayyad. And sure enough, when the police checked it out, they found that little scrap of paper missing from that book. So they figure it came from the Somerton man himself. In that book is a coded message yet to be deciphered and the local phone number of a young woman. Now, when the police went to question her, she said she'd never heard of this guy, didn't know him, but they thought she might be not telling the truth. Other odd details, like this man was wearing clothing from the United States, from the US, and there was a name in, on one of the name tags, I think, or in the clothing that said Keen, K-E-A-N-E. -E. Keep that in mind. Theories. There's so many theories over the last, what, 60 years, 65. Um, this is more than that. Is it 80? Yeah, it's like 80 years. Anyways, I can't do math. Uh, I'm a writer. I don't do math. Anyways, it's a long, it's, it's an old, old mystery. Uh, and there were tons of theories, everything ranging from that this guy must have been an American spy in World War II to he was a time traveler, right? Of course. Well, on July 26th this year, my friend Colleen Fitzpatrick of Identifinders International, she's a genetic genealogist, and Adelaide University professor Derek Abbott announced they'd solved the case using genetic genealogy, using a using a sample of the Somerton man's hair. They say the Somerton man was a man named Carl Webb, who was born in 1905 and disappeared in 1947, just a year before the Somerton man's body was found. Here's what we know about Carl Webb so far. We're still kind of piecing this whole thing together. Carl Webb married a woman named Dorothy Robertson, who was a pharmacist in 1941. They moved into a flat in South Yara, which is about an eight-hour drive from Adelaide, where the body was found. Now, this was a rough marriage. Now, Dorothy says that uh, Carl went to bed every night by 7 p.m. He was moody, very moody, and he often wrote poetry, often on the subject of death, which seemed to fascinate him. And he even attempted suicide by ether. Now, ether... For those that don't know, before they had 
you know, you'd go to the dentist and before they had the laughing gas and um, the Novocaine and all that, they'd give you this ether to kind of like, uh, you know, depress your body, put you, put you into a, a nice slumber, a nice mood. We, we got out of that practice a while ago. Uh, remember that movie, um, the, uh, the Princes of, of New Hampshire, what was that? The Kings of New England or, uh, the John Irving story. Anyways, uh, Michael Caine, uh, died by ether back then, but I digress. Uh, Dorothy was granted a, a divorce in 1951, uh, and her claim was by desertion, meaning he had skipped and she didn't know where to find him. Remember, they found the body of the Summerton man in 1948. Carl's oldest sister was married to a guy named Thomas Keene, K-E-A-N-E, which explains the clothes and, you know, they could be like possible hand-me-downs. But it begs the question... Why this family never reported, maybe they reported it missing, but they, they didn't piece it together. And the Somerton Man was a very well-known case, in at least in South Australia. And I would expect, if you're from Victoria and uh, this area where his wife was living, that that would also be in the papers. And every time they ran this guy's story in the papers, the Somerton Man, they actually showed a picture of his dead body. So it's weird that he was never reported or never matched, that they never came forward. So kind of anticlimactic answer to that big mystery. But if you want to think that it's time travel, uh, hopefully I've got that book coming out. Number nine, Adnan Syed goes free. Uh, This happened September 19th. Adnan Syed walked out of a prison. Who would have seen this coming? Uh, We were told for years after Serial came out that this just was never going to happen. He was in there forever. There's nothing he could do. But anyways, let's let's back up a little bit. January 13th, 1999 was the last day that 18-year-old Hay Minley was seen alive. This all happened in Baltimore County, Maryland. Now, Hay Hay Min uh, Lee attended uh, Woodlawn High School outside Baltimore. And if you're not from that area, Baltimore is kind of like Cleveland's older stepbrother. And it's, um, it's, a, it's, it's very akin to it in many ways, depressed. Uh, think of the wire when you think of Baltimore, right? Um, so it's a struggling, multicultural, big city. And uh, Heyman Lee played lacrosse and field hockey. She was born in South Korea, Came to the states when her mother and with her mother and brother in 1992. The year before her, um, the year before she was murdered, a classmate named Adnan Syed asked her to the junior prom, and they started going steady. Now he was very popular. In fact, he became the prom king. But Adnan was also Muslim, and was not supposed to be dating girls. This led to them breaking up around December 1998. And according to some of his friends, he took it very hard. Now, Hay at that time starts seeing a co-worker named Don Kleindienst. And they both work at this place called Lens Crafters, where, you know, you know Lens Crafters. You go get your glasses. He was 22 years old, so a couple years older. Also, uh, Don's mother was the manager of the store. 
so this brings us to January 13th, 1999. Hey Min Lee leaves school in a 1998 Nissan Sentra and disappears. Adnan is the top suspect right away. About a month later, which, you know, let's say February 9th, a guy named Alonzo Sellers finds her body in the woods of Lincoln Park. Not Lincoln Park, Lincoln Park in West Baltimore. She was partially buried and she'd been strangled to death. Now, Alonzo Sellers, he's kind of a weird dude. And how did he, he, he just said that he came across Heyman Lee's body when he walked into the woods to pee. But it was likely that he walked into the woods and took off all of his clothes for uh, the LOLs. Uh, he has a history of indecent exposure. February 28th, police find Heyman Lee's car. And they later claim that a friend of Adnan's named Jay led them to the car. Con- led them to the car, and confessed to helping Adnan move Heyman Lee's body. And he also said that Adnan threatened to get him in trouble for buying 10 pounds of weed. Now, all this we find out later, and of course, absolutely, it's all bullshit, right? Um, But we don't know that at the time. They arrest Adnan, who was 17 years old at this time, and charged him as an adult. There was no physical evidence tying him to the crime. That first trial ends in a mistrial. He was convicted in the second trial in 2000, and he was sentenced to life plus 30 years. So he's been sitting in prison all this time. And then in October 2014, Serial premiered. And that changed everything, not just for Adnan, but for people like me and everybody that has a podcast. Because back then when Serial came out, everybody was like, freaking podcast, what? Who wants to listen to radio? And that's what this was. It started out in, in radio, and then it, you know, the technology changed. Everybody with, you know, about a hundred dollars could purchase the material they needed to produce a, a podcast. So, um, nobody expected this coming. Least of all, Adnan, and Serial, the podcast has now been played more than one hundred million times. It was hosted by Sarah Koenig, who becomes a character in her own own story there. This brings us all to 2022, this past year. And since Adnan was arrested as a juvenile, there was an automatic review process that that started. And there was a lawyer named Becky Feldman, uh, a chief of sentencing review unit for these cases. She took another look into the files and found two handwritten notes about another suspect. Now, this is interesting and is eventually what gets Adnan free. Uh, You should also know that this is technically a Brady violation. Uh, In the United States, prosecutors, when they they learn about exculpatory evidence, that is evidence that could help the defendant, they're required to share that information with the defense attorneys. They did not do that in this case. It was actually the prosecutors here who asked the judge to vacate the order, and this time they let Adnan go. Now, another player in all this is a woman named Rabia Chowdhury, was a childhood friend of Adnan's, and Rabia took uh, on the story after Sarah Koenig. She was a part of that story as well. And she wrote a book and started her own podcast called Undisclosed, and she's been fighting for his freedom ever since. And she, uh, you know, a day or two after Adnan went free, she had to tweet this out, and, you know, I just 
it's such a it tells you everything you need to know about the country right now. Um, so, anyways, a couple days after Adnan went free, here's what Rabia tweeted. She said, "Quote." I keep getting asked this question, I'm only answering it once because, first of all, this is not my role in his life, but also people get a grip. Adnan is not looking to hook up or meet any of the very thirsty, I mean, interested ladies reaching out, end quote. Sorry, ladies. So um, that's where the case is now. I just read this week that Adnan got a job with um, sort of related to to the justice uh, projects and everything like that. He seems to be doing well. The search for Heyman Lee's real killer continues. At number eight, this story takes place at 2 a.m. on October 28th. A man named David DePape broke into Nancy Pelosi's Pacific Heights home. Now, Pelosi wasn't there, but her husband Paul was, and he was 82 years old. He was sleeping when DePape confronted him, started shouting, Where's Nancy? and then began beating the older man with a hammer. Now, when the officers arrived, there's dash cam footage that shows some of this assault. Uh, Paul ended up going to the hospital that night and had surgery for a skull fracture. When police asked DePape, what the hell are you doing in this guy's house? He said, quote, lies are coming out of Washington, D.C. This according to the Associated Press. Quote, I didn't really want to hurt him, but you know this was a suicide mission. I'm not going to stand here and do nothing, even if it cost me my life. The LA Times journalist then found an old blog by DePape that showed off some of his conspiracy theories, and he would write these posts with topics like manipulation of history or it's okay to be white. He was an anti-vaxxer and posted a video about how the Ukraine war was a Jewish plot for cheap land, which, as I recall, is the plot of Summer uh, Superman 2, right? Or one of the Supermans. Uh, anyways, DePape, they found out later, was from Canada and was here illegally. He moved to Canada 20 years ago. So no matter what side of the aisle you're on, they use this <clears throat> story for uh, their own personal agendas, of course. Now, Elon Musk, this was right after he had bought Twitter, and he retweeted this stupid conspiracy theory about how this was actually a homosexual tryst gone wrong. Uh, Obviously, no evidence to support this, and um, quite a crazy story. You know, uh, Pelosi's third in line for the most powerful position in, in the world, the President of the United States, as the Speaker of the House at the time. So this is, this is a really big story. Number seven, the seventh most talked about true crime story in the last year, has to be the drama surrounding Vicki White. And we watch this story develop and then head to its conclusion almost in real time earlier this year. This all began April 29th when a prisoner named Casey White escaped from lockup in Alabama. This happened at 9.41 a.m. April 29th at the Lauderdale County Jail. 56-year-old Vicki White, this was the day she was retiring. She took Casey White to the courthouse by herself. They had arranged this whole thing. This was a long con, years, months in planning. And they had been carrying on a secret affair over jailhouse phones. And they figured out a way to get Casey under her supervision 
and then drive off into the sunset. Casey was serving a 75-year sentence for a crime spree that included a home invasion, carjacking, and police chase. He was uh, brought to Lauderdale County Jail, where Vicki White worked, while he awaited trial in the stabbing death of a 58-year-old woman in 2015 named Connie Jane Ridgeway. At first, when Vicki White disappeared, after she was supposed to deliver Casey White to the courthouse, um, everybody assumed it was a kidnapping. But then, you know, quickly all this other detail came out and they realized that they had had a special relationship, had met many times before, traded calls in prison. She was giving him extra food. And uh, they had surveillance that showed that they, or, or um, you know, CTV footage, right? CCTV? Uh, anyways, they found out that they had gotten into a 2007 orange uh, Ford Edge, which she had bought just prior to the escape. She had just sold her home for um, uh, much less than it was worth. She took a $100,000 loss in order to get cash fast. They were armed with AR-15 style rifles, handguns, and a shotgun. So... You know, they went on the run. And Sheriff, her boss, Rick Singleton, said uh, he went on the media and spoke to her directly and said, quote, Vicki, you've been in this business for 17 years. You've seen the scenario play out more than once. You know how it always ends. And boy, was that on the nose. They spent 11 days on the run in uh, April and May before police caught up with them in Evansdale, I'm sorry, Evansville, Indiana, there was a car chase. The police rammed their car. They lost control, flipped. Now, they both survived the crash. Uh, Casey White fled, tried to flee, flee the scene. He was caught. Vicky was kind of trapped inside the car, but she still had her gun, and she shot herself in the head, committing suicide. Casey White then was taken back to prison. Uh, you know, this is one of those cases. You see this a lot, covering crime every week. People get in these situations way over their head. And even, even with Vicki White, who was a member of law enforcement who had two years of planning, where did they think this would end? How do you think you can just run away? That only happens in like bad Netflix movies these days. At number six, the most uh, thorny of stories in 2022. Um, now, you know... If you watch this, this show, if you listen to this podcast week to week, you know I'm a liberal, I'm a dirty, dirty hippie, but I do believe this is a big story, and I do believe it deserves to be in the top 10. I'm talking about Hunter Biden's laptop. Now, I thought, when I first heard about this thing, I thought it was a hoax. I thought that they cooked it all up, there was nothing but rumors, and then in March of this year, the Washington Post uh, released an intensive investigative look and analysis into the situation and Hunter Biden's laptop, whether it was real, whether it was not, whether this, you know, what was going on. And they determined, yes, in fact, this is real. The story of this laptop adventure goes back to April 12th, 2019, when a seemingly inebriated Hunter Biden, that's our president, Joe Biden's son, took his laptop into the computer store, uh, a Mac shop repair store, actually, in Wilmington, Delaware. And the sto store's owner, this guy named Mac Isaac, Hunter 
wanted him to recover data from the laptop. He, it, it, the computer had become damaged by uh, unknown, quote, liquid. He would boot up, this is Mac Isaac. He, he said, sure, let me, let me see what I can do. So uh, Hunter left the laptop with him and, and, and left. Now, Mac Isaac would boot up the laptop and transfer files before it automatically shut down again. It, took a, it was very tedious, took a long time. He tried to contact Hunter after days or weeks, and he had signed a repair order with his phone number, but at that point, Hunter Biden stopped responding. So after a while, he considered it abandoned property. And here comes Giuliani, uh, Trump's uh, you know, biggest, you know, is, is his Goebbel? Would that, would that fit? Not, not really, but you know, one of his top, top lieutenants, uh, Rudy Giuliani, he was trying to make a big deal about Hunter's laptop uh, around these dealings with Ukraine in July 2019 leading up to the election, right? And that's when Mac Isaac contacted uh, the FBI. And it wasn't until December 9th, 2019, that the FBI served a subpoena for the laptop, hard drive, and all paperwork. Now, Isaac uh, was smart enough to have made a copy of everything as kind of an insurance in case the FBI didn't do anything, which pretty much they didn't do. And uh, so Giuliani's attorney, this guy named Robert Costello, eventually responded to Isaac and uh, connected him with a guy named Jack Maxey. Now Maxey becomes, at this point, the liaison for the files between uh, the computer store guy and the media. So he starts feeding the Hunter Biden laptop details to the media because there's some juicy stuff in there. In the Daily Mail, uh, God help them, uh, started publishing some excerpts that at first were like, ah, it's the Daily Mail. But it turns out they're legit. And Washington Post verified much of the report on March 30th of this year. And their conclusion from their computer analyst was, Thousands of emails reportedly from the laptop computer of Hunter Biden are authentic communications that can be verified through cryptographic signatures from Google and other tech companies. What they have are 129,000 emails, 36,000 photos, 1,300 videos, and chat logs. And what's in them? I'll tell you. Uh, Emails include a deal with Hunter that he was developing with a Chinese energy firm. He, uh, there's a, a relationship, these emails and, and documents show, between Hunter and a Ukraine energy firm called Burisma, on which Hunter sat on the board of directors earning $50,000 a month for doing what? We don't really know. Sometimes nothing is, is how these deals work. Now, there's nothing really illegal in that, but there's the appearance of impropriety at the moment. Um, now, there are also texts or emails that reference, reference um, the big guy, which many people take to mean Joe Biden himself, getting a cut of the deal. Uh, a Ukraine energy, and this is before the war started, uh, this Ukraine energy guy is thanking Hunt, Hunter for introducing him to his father. And um, so far, the Washington Post and other outlets are airing on the side of caution. The Daily Mail, like I said, are, you know, they're publishing a lot more, but they've already verified these. Now, here's what they 
also say is in the laptop. There are photos that are online that you can find of Hunter with a crack pipe in his mouth as he's sleeping half nude, pulling a woman's hair um, on a bed in another photo. Uh, in another picture, he's getting his teeth examined at the dentist and supposedly they show the effects of meth teeth. This is subjecture, I think, from some, but uh, there's some, some weirdness there too. There's also evidence that Hunter and Joe shared bank accounts. Uh, Hunter's also uh, using frequently using the N-word in texts. Uh, texts also show that Hunter overpaid an escort by $25,000 at the Chateau Marmont in L.A. Secret Service agents had to show up to inform him the credit card he used for that hooker was linked, or that stay at the Chateau anyways, was linked to his dad. Rookie mistake there. Uh, second, there was a second laptop seized by the feds and a third taken by Russian drug dealers after a party in Vegas. Now, even if, stay with me here, even if somehow Hunter's business dealings over in Ukraine were all on the level, even if his connections to his father's and his father's accounts were accidental, he is still, with what's on that laptop and what what is being held by private people and what's been released in the media, he's a huge liability to the most powerful person in the free world. He is compromised, exposed, and desperate. And if there was any other president, sitting president, the media would be pushing for a resignation. And so, yes, there is absolutely a liberal bias to the media in how they've covered this this year. By the way, Jack Maxey, that liaison between the laptop guy and the media, he is freaked the fuck out. He's hiding out in Switzerland at the moment with 80,000 more deleted images that were recovered from that computer. So I imagine we'll hear more about that in 2023. It's a legit story. And, uh, Stay tuned for, after the break, for the top five true crime stories of 2022. I'll be right back in two and two. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And we're back with The Dukes of Hazard, starring Sam Wopat. Number five, the fifth most popular story in true crime in 2022 the explosion, the implosion of FTX. I'm talking about Sam Bankman Freed. You know who he is. He's the guy that walked into the barbershop and said, hey, make me look like the key master from Ghostbusters. That's exactly the look I'm going for. And uh, beside him in all those news reports is his sometime girlfriend, Caroline Ellison. Who boy. Uh, where to start? If you haven't heard about this, this case... It's, it's worth doing a deep dive. Sam Bankman-Fried is 30 years old. He's a grad of MIT, and he had created this cryptocurrency exchange called FTX. Think of it as like a, a NASDAQ, like a Wall Street trading thing for uh, cryptocurrency, you know, the pretend money that they have online. He set it up in the Bahamas, not super fishy at all. Caroline Ellison is 28 years old. She's the CEO of Alameda Research, or was until a couple months ago. And Alameda Research is a crypto hedge fund located in the, oh, wait for it, Bahamas. Alameda, Alameda Research's power relied heavily on tokens called FTTs, which is what FTX uses to trade. Are you lost already? Yeah, me too. Um, so... <laughs> There were these tokens. They work like Chuck E. Cheese tokens. They're worth as much as you want them to pretend to be worth. And that's what Alameda Research was kind of, um, that was like holding them up. They were, they were trading. They were holding these, these tokens that only really worked with FTX. There was money going back and forth. And um, there were, at the center of this thing, uh, really, there are these two crypto currency giants, Sam Bankman-Fried and, and this, this other guy, and they went to war with each other. The one guy pulled out. There was a, almost like a run on the bank, like um, it's a wonderful life type of thing. And that in November, everybody started freaking out because this big investor pulled out of FTX and everybody was like, what the hell's going on? They started pulling their money too. Eventually FTX had no money to reimburse. And they had to come clean with, oh, hey, guys, sorry, uh, we sort of lost billions and billions of dollars. It no longer exists. So uh, a lot of other things have come forward. This is one of those stories that just keeps on giving. It's obviously going to be a big, you know, Netflix or Hulu true crime special. Uh, everybody's caught up on the fact that Sam Bankman freed and... Uh, Caroline Ellison were involved in this polyamorous relationship. In, in Caroline's words, she said, quote, she envisioned it like an imperial Chinese harem. 
Nothing, none of this non-hierarchical bullshit. Everyone should have a ranking with their partners. People should know where they fall in the ranking, and there should be vicious power struggles for higher ranks. Now look, more power to you. Polyamory can and, and does work. But when your partners get into the double digits and a lot of money is involved, it starts to sound like a cult. So Sam started this year worth about $16 billion, and now he's living with his parents, like a lot of crypto bros. Um, let's give you an idea of how serious, how bad this is. The guy that's in charge of making sense of all the financials was in charge of overseeing uh, Enron's implosion. So um, people filed for bankruptcy. They found out that FTX was buying personal homes for employees. And finally, December 12th, Sam Bankman-Fried was arrested. He's been uh, extradited and uh, is currently, like I said, under house arrest. Uh, now, his, his parents aren't just, you know, some schmucks at a Poughkeepsie. They are both university professors at Stanford, and he's chilling in a $4 million home. And he was just interviewed. I saw an interview with him today, you know, and he's, he's not freaking out, which blows my mind, but I've seen this with the likes of Elizabeth Holmes um, and, you know, Carolyn Ellison for that extent, and it strikes me that they're young enough uh, that they're in a, you know, they're, they're kind of treating capitalism like a game, which to a, to a sense it can be and, and is, but they're going at it with a sense of there's no repercussions for their actions, and that can only happen by the way, to entitled white kids, you know, young uh, or young adults. Uh, but there's, you know, there's, people of color uh, understand prison and the real consequences for their actions. These people, and you see these interviews with Sam Bankman-Fried and Carolyn Ellison, they don't really understand that they're going to prison for a long, long time. They don't understand what prison actually means. So I'm actually quite concerned for them. But he's he's gonna head he's gonna head in sometime soon. Number four, uh, one of the biggest cold cases in the United States history, the boy in the box, was resolved this year. Now the mystery of the boy in the box. Uh, begins on February 25th, 1957 in Philly when people discover the body of a young boy about four years old in a cardboard box on the side of the road. He was naked and he was beaten. Tragic, tragic case. Uh, they didn't have a name for him, so they called him the boy in the box. And you grew up hearing those stories if you were from the, the Philadelphia area. And over the years, there's been many suspects and theories. At one time, they thought maybe this was a foster kid that some orphanage was trying to hide. Other people thought maybe it looked like he had been raised as a girl. What was going on there? But then on December 8th, he was finally identified by genetic genealogists. And there was a big police conference in, in Philly. And we now know his name to be Joseph Augustus Zarelli who was the son of a prominent family in Delaware County, Pennsylvania, had many brothers and sisters. The parents are now deceased, though, but he has half-siblings who are alive, might know more information. Somebody here knows the secret about why he was uh, either 
neglected to the point of death or actually killed. Uh, looks like, you know, the parents, right, have to be involved. The, this kid was never reported missing. No link was ever made. So um, they're at the top of the suspect list, sure. Police are considering whether they can charge anybody. They're still kind of looking into the, the events here. Tragic story, but now it has an answer. At number three, the murders in Moscow, Idaho. This starts on Sunday, November 13th, around noon, when somebody calls 911 from a townhouse in Moscow, Idaho. And that's a townhouse that served as housing for uh, upper-level students at the University of Idaho. I believe there were six bedrooms and six or seven people living there at the time. The call that was put in was for an unconscious individual that had been found. They didn't even realize that that person was dead yet. By the time the police got there, this became a crime scene, and they discovered four people had been murdered. 21-year-old Madison Mogan, 21-year-old Kaylee Goncalves, 20-year-old Zena Kernodal, and 20-year-old Ethan Chapin. Chapin. They were all killed by some kind of edged weapon, probably a knife. No signs of struggle. The front door was found wide open. Now, there were two other roommates, uh, both women, on the very bottom level. This, this townhouse has three levels. They were on the bottom level, unharmed. And uh, on the top two levels is where all the murders took place. Now, the University of Idaho is pretty big. It's a state school, has 26,000 students. They canceled classes uh, for that week leading up to Thanksgiving after this happened. Ethan Chapin's mother came out and spoke to the Boise State statesman saying, quote, I don't want people to make assumptions about our kids. This wasn't about drugs. Someone entered the house. And this started to look like those Ted Bundy dormitory killings from Florida in the 70s, right? Um, how the question remains, how do you, and this is still unsolved. You know, this is about a month old, right? Uh, this is a big, no, month and a half. This is a huge, huge deal. And some people think that this should be the top story. Maybe it should be over the, over the last year. And it will develop. I've got a hunch. Uh, it's speculation, so I'm not going to say it. But, um, I, you know, I, uh, along with... Along with this case, the Idaho murders, you're seeing the worst of social media play out, too. The, the, the worst of the worst, um, unfortunately, with this. And, uh, you know, have got this, now there's this woman online at TikTok or YouTube or whatever uh, doing tarot card readings and pointing the finger at um, innocent people saying that they were involved in these murders and now they're getting sued. So chill out. People give the police a while to do their job before you start trying to solve it yourself. Anyways, the question at the end of the day is, how do you kill four young people without waking up the two young women who were on that bottom floor? And how do you leave without getting caught? And it's, yeah, I can, I can kind of see it. You know, I was in college uh, about 20 years ago and living in a townhouse, and you'd hear noises all through the night, you know, of all kinds, right? You know, people stomping around at 2, 3 o'clock in the morning. So I, I can understand why there could be a lot of commotion, and, and still they would stay asleep. Um, seems to me that this person was probably familiar with the layout of the house, too. Anyways, we'll see. We'll see. This is a developing story.
Number two, the top, the second most uh, talked about true crime story of 2022 was the shooting in Uvalde, Texas. The United States, you should know, is the only country on the planet with more guns than people. No other nation is even close, in fact. And these school shootings have now become endemic to the United States. The shootings at Robb Elementary School in Uvalde, Texas on May 24th were particularly evil. That's when 18-year-old Salvador Ramos shot and killed 19 students and two teachers and wounding 17 others. He used an AR-15 style rifle, the weapon of choice for school shooters in America. Police responded quickly. They were on the scene pretty quick. And then they waited one hour and 14 minutes before breaching the classroom where Salvador was hiding, killing more students. There are no heroes in this story, not the police, not anybody. Um, and it's, it's very tragic. I'm not going to go into detail here. Uh, there are, there's quite a bit of detail out there if you want to learn all about it. But I just want to say that in 2022, this is the world that we choose to live in. There's a simple fix for this. But in the United States, we'd rather have all of our guns than all of our children. The top true crime story for 2022 was the October 31st arrest of Richard Allen for the murders of Abby Williams and Libby German in Delphi, Indiana. I met Kelsey at CrimeCon years ago before I really knew much about the case. Uh, she asked if I could help look into it. I ended up producing a series um, of virtual reality interviews that you can find on YouTube under um, Virtually a Detective, I think it's called, and uh, got to know the family well. I see them at CrimeCon every year. Um, I went out to Delphi, Indiana, and I walked that stretch of the Monon, or tried to walk that stretch of the Monon High Bridge where the girls were, and then you see on the Snapchat video uh, this killer approached them, this likely killer. I could not walk on the bridge. My body, like mentally I was there. I was telling my body to move, walk out on the bridge, but my, I just started shaking. I couldn't do it. It's so high. If those girls would have tripped or fallen through one of the, the spindle things, they'd, they'd be dead. I, I don't know how they didn't have that more blocked off. Um, so, it, which is the only reason I'm sharing that is it showed me that whoever did this was familiar with that bridge had walked it before, was a local of some kind. Um, this case started taking on a new urgency earlier this year when the podcast The Murder Sheet revealed court documents that showed Delphi police had questioned a man named Keegan Klein about the murders. And that uh, Murder Sheet podcast you should check out. It's hosted by Anya Kane and Kevin Greenley, journalists. Uh, Keegan Klein was catfishing with uh, underage girls on social media. He was using the name Anthony Schatz, and he'd show these pictures of a young male model, and he was trying to get them to share nude photos. Now, that account, Anthony Schatz, was interacting with Libby German the day that she and Abby were killed, according to police. That can't be coincidence, right? 
Now, Keegan has said he gave the password to lots of people, including his father. And uh, they, a week ago, police were seen dredging the river near where Keegan lived in Peru, Indiana. Now, remember, they arrested this guy, Richard Allen, for it, right? Richard Allen has connections to Peru, Indiana, as well. Richard Allen is 50 years old. He's a CVS employee, worked in town, catty corner to the Dairy Queen, where Kelsey German was working. Uh, the, the court initially tried to, or the prosecutors initially tried to seal all the documents in this case. Uh, the local news journalists and, and outlets tried to fight that, and eventually they did release the probable cause document. And that's when we learned, and you know, as soon as they tried to seal this, I'm like, they're hiding something that's embarrassing. Nothing that was like a conspiracy of anything, but they fucked up somewhere. And sure enough, you know, and, and they said that the reason they were sealing it was, um, you know, that they were trying to protect the, you know, the, the delicacies of, of the crime itself and, and, and witnesses. That was all bullshit. Um, they were trying to cover up their giant failing in this case. They had Richard Allen's name uh, the week that Abby and Libby were killed years ago. Uh, and that interview, uh, Richard Allen came to the police and said, hey, I was there. You know, of course, he knew he was probably seen. So, you know, if he is in fact guilty, he's cleaning up his alibi, right? Anyways, he admitted that he was there on the day of the killings and that he was wearing clothes that matched the person found on that Snapchat video. And they lost it or misplaced it or didn't give it the right attention. They, the police are blaming it on a clerical error. Somebody was reviewing the case, found that old interview, said, what the hell? Have we ever looked at this guy? And then they looked at him and everything came together. So um, number one case, Delphi. We'll get some answers, more answers anyways, this next year. What are the top true crime cases of 2023? You got to follow me to find out. You get your news first from James Renner every Friday morning. Get caught up on all the true crime cases that are going to be big in the in the weeks and years to come. Thanks for following, guys. And uh, in the words of the incomparable Murray Saw, the show is over. The year is over. It's time to celebrate. Have some New Year's Eve fun. And that means we got to, 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 get down. Damn it. True Crime This Week is a fearful symmetry production. Photo and artwork are licensed through Shutterstock. If you like the cut of my jib, I have another podcast you might enjoy called The Philosophy of Crime, in which I attempt to solve the big questions behind our true crime obsession by looking to philosophy for answers. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next week. Sit, Brownie, sit. Good dog. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.